So, I have an awesome privilege to be able to share one of these, and that's what this whole series is about, right? You're stuck hearing my favorite passages, my favorite stories, pretty much. And for those of you that have been with me for the last almost four years, you're like, I've heard that before. You're right. When it's your favorite, you say it several times, obviously. But this is one that impacted me when I was actually a high school student. I was a high school student at a large concert conference, and I heard a, a guy give a very, very short version of this message, basically just a different perspective. And I don't know about you, but that's always been something that's, that's opened my eyes, is, is I've, I've read the passage before, I've noticed the passages before, I've heard them preached, I've preached them, but when God just opens your eyes to a new perspective, I'm like, I never thought of it that way before. I've never seen it that way before. That's what happened with me when I was in high school at this concert and having a guy come out and, and it's like, yeah, I've heard the story before, but he gave me one different perspective. And in many ways, more so in, in my ministry life, as far as leading the church and when I used to do student ministry, leading that student ministry, changed how I viewed things and more importantly, why I did certain things. What our focus was, why we do what we do. And so I want to share it with you. I want you to see it. So head over to Luke, Luke chapter 5. It's a story that you may or may not be familiar with, but it has become one that is a constant, this is why I do what I do, right? We do a lot of things in our life, in our families, and our jobs, and church world. We do a lot of things, and, and that's great. We should do most of those probably, but the why is so vital and so important. If we don't have the why, we start losing even the point, what's the reason I'm doing these things? And so for me, I've even written that in, in my Bible. This is basically my why. This is why I do what I do. So here it is, Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. We're going to kind of chop this up so you can really understand the story. It says, one day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So stop there. Like I said, we're going to do this in chunks. So understand the scene. Jesus is teaching, he's preaching, and he has the power to do what, that verse says. Power to... Heal the sick. So there's a great opportunity. He's teaching people. He's kind of preaching. He's healing people. And you've got Pharisees, teachers of the law, these people from all over. And not just this town. Look, it says every village of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, they're coming from all over. People from all over are coming to hear Jesus teach. And they're bringing their sick because he has the power to heal. He's doing that. So there's this great opportunity in this region where Jesus is at, and people are flocking from all over to take advantage of this great opportunity, to hear Jesus, for their lives to be changed, for, for them to be healed if they're sick. And some men, verse 18, they're going to take advantage of this opportunity. Verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Now, don't overlook the fact that this isn't aware. Where is this? This isn't a local church. Where, where is this opportunity taking place? In a house. It's in a home. It's in a house. So there's this great opportunity right here in this person's home. People from all over are coming to hear Jesus, and he's got the power to heal. Great opportunity. And there's some men, we don't know the relationship that these men had with this paralyzed guy. They obviously knew each other. Understand in that day and age, if you were paralyzed and if you had some kind of disease, if, if you needed help, basically, you would most likely sit outside of the temple, some place where everybody would see you every single day. And, and most likely, this paralyzed man would have done that same thing. He would have sat outside the temple. He would have had his mat that he would have had somebody lay out, sit him down on it, and he would have camped out there all day. Somebody would then take him home and bring him back out each morning 
and he'd probably have something to just say, hey, if, if you've got money, if you can help, if you've got any food, he would be there day in, day out, each and every day. So most likely, whoever these some men are would have known this man would have been there. They would have probably passed him each and every day. Now, whether they were friends or just acquaintances or knew of whatever the relationship was, they were at least aware that this paralyzed man has a need. We have a great opportunity because we heard Jesus is in this area. And he has the power to do what? Heal. What a great opportunity. So these guys, these some men, had to have gotten together and said, I've got a great idea. Jesus is here. Jesus is close by with the power to heal. People are talking about it. We need to get that guy to Jesus. They saw a man in need. They saw that he was paralyzed. So we can't do anything about it. Right? They probably walked by him, like I said, every single day and, and feeling bad for him. We do that, don't we? We see people in need. We're like, sorry about your luck. Or if we're Christians, we say, I'll pray for you. I'll do what I can. <laughs> right? We, we don't know what to do. And honestly, there's not a lot we can do in a lot of those situations. But when a moment comes, when an opportunity comes, and we recognize, we say, oh, now, now I see how we can really help. See, these some men, we'll call them friends, we'll assume that they're friends. These friends recognized they could do nothing about this paralyzed man's condition. They couldn't do anything about it. However, they most certainly could get him to the one who could. They recognized what they could do and what Jesus could only do. And sometimes in our lives, we try to take on both. The things that I can do and the things that Jesus can only do. It's like, well, I'll take care of all of those. That's called being very heavy. That's when we start feeling exhausted and you are carrying a burden you were not intended to carry. But what these friends do is says, I see a need that we can't meet. But we see a need, but we also see an opportunity. Let's connect those. So understand that we cannot change people. Right? This is probably in a top 10 list somewhere of what pastors get asked. You know, parents will come and say, well, man, pastor, I'm really having a hard time with my kid. What can you do with them? I said, give them back to you. <laughs> Nothing. Right? There, there's not a lot. We, we don't just change. I'm not in the business of changing people. We would love that to be the case, but that's not the way it works. We as people cannot change other people. We can influence and we can impact and we can direct and we can lead and we can guide. But when it comes to the heart, that's between that person and Jesus. That's it. But we so want to change other people, don't we? We so want to change them, but we have to change our mindset. Us change our own mindset. I can't change this person. I can't fix this person's problem. I can't meet this person's need, but I can get them to the one who can. We cannot change people, but we take them to the one who can. That's what these friends recognized. Jesus is around. What do we have to do to get this man who we can't do anything for? The only thing we can do for him is get this man to Jesus, which is exactly what they did. Verse 19 says, well, let me back up, verse 18. So they started carrying this man on his mat. They picked him up on his mat, and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Verse 19, they ran into some issues. Verse 19, when they could not find a way to do this because of that, I want you to say this out loud, because of the who? The crowd. Remember that. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. These men, they, they pick up this man, they carry him on his mat. We don't know where this house was. We just know people have come over from all the, the surrounding villages and in this entire region to hear Jesus. So they may had to have traveled for miles and miles, or it could have been down the street. We have no idea. 
But we know they picked him up on his mat, and these friends began to carry this man who couldn't walk, carry him all the way to this house because that's where Jesus was. They had to have been thinking, we'll do whatever it takes to get this man to Jesus. And they had to have been encouraging this man. Man, just, just you wait. I know it's a little bumpy ride right now. But once we get to this house, once we get to where Jesus is at, he has the power to heal. You're going to get better. You're going to be able to walk again. They had to have been pumping each other up and being so excited for what was about to happen. They were about to witness a miracle. So they take this paralyzed man, however long of a distance, they get to the house, and they could probably start seeing a little ways off. They start walking into the, or towards the house, and you could imagine the crowd. Where is this at again? Is this in like the arena? No, this is in a house. <laughs> it's in a house. Even if it was a big house, when every village from the surrounding area shows up, not everybody's going to fit in that house. <laughs> so they would have had to have seen the crowd just spilling out of the house and and they've got the paralyzed guy and they're starting to walk they're probably already tired and they're like that's a lot of people <laughs> how are we going to get in and they tried it says they tried to take him in so they tried to get him in and i would imagine that they're uh, you know excuse me pardon me paralyzed guy here can we at least get in to see jesus can we get in front and the crowd is keeping them out who's keeping them out the crowd they tried to get them into the house to see Jesus, but they could not because of the crowd. And understand, the crowd is not necessarily bad people. They're all there because they want to hear Jesus. They've heard the same news that these friends heard. Well, we got to be with Jesus. We want to hear from Jesus. He's got the power to heal. We want to see a miracle. I need a miracle. So you got this crowd of people that want to be with Jesus. That same crowd that desires to be with Jesus, to hear from Jesus, to see Jesus, it's the same group of people that are keeping someone who needs Jesus out. You understand the irony there? Of this group of people wanting to be with Jesus so badly that they unintentionally keep somebody else that desperately needs Jesus from Jesus. I think that's one of our biggest threats as a church, is being that crowd that loves Jesus so much. We can love Jesus so much that and I've got I've to get to church and cut everybody else off on the way into church this morning. <laughs> I've got to get to church and I've got my seat. Don't you dare sit in my seat at church. <laughs> Jesus is in that seat. The Holy Spirit only speaks to me when I'm in that seat. My life was changed in that seat. Somebody's new, doesn't matter, sit in the back. Take your turn. Right? We, we have those things, and as a church, I'm guilty of this too, where we desperately want to be around Jesus so much that we unintentionally forget about the people that need him maybe even more than we do at this point. Maybe they need him just a little bit more. So you can imagine these some men, these friends, tried to get in, and they most certainly couldn't because of the who? Because of the crowd. Now the discussion changes amongst these friends of, we got him here, but now what are we supposed to do? Right? And there's a word here that was probably used, we don't see it in the text, but if I'm in their shoes, if you're in their shoes, you probably say something like this. And it's a word that should make us cringe, and it probably doesn't. It's the word almost. Right? There had to have been one of those friends that says, well, we tried, we almost got him to Jesus. We were really close, we did everything we could, we almost Made it in. To look at the paralyzed guy and say, man, we're really sorry. We, we, there's a lot of people here. We, we almost got you healed. Right? That word almost is truly a disease in our culture. The disease of almost. Well, our marriage almost made it. We almost were able to pay our bills this month. We, 
we almost, we almost, I almost. And, and you look at that almost, and what that says is, well, we stopped. We quit. We, we couldn't. And there's always good reasons. There's always good excuses to the almost. Right? It's, it's not for lack of effort. I mean, we, we did. We, we traveled maybe miles and miles, and we're tired, and we're exhausted, and we got here, and we tried to get in, but we just couldn't. There's nothing else we can do. We almost made it. So close, man. I'm so sorry. We almost got it. See, there's another side to almost, though. There's the almost side, but then there's the whatever it takes side. There's almost, and then there's no matter what. There's almost, and man, this is the point of no return. <laughs> in fact, in the aviation world, if you're a pilot, uh, there's actually three speed thresholds when you take off. So if you've ever flown, you know, you know, buckle up, and then they start going. There's three thresholds of speeds that the pilots use to determine where they're at in the takeoff process before they left the runway. So if they start out and they start going down the runway, said the three different thresholds, the very first speed threshold is called V1. V and then one. And what V1 means is we're not stopping after this. <laughs> Meaning V1, as soon as a pilot, the co-pilot will say V1. And what that tells the pilot is if something goes wrong, we're going to still have to take off because we don't have enough runway to stop. That's what V1 means. Do you feel really safe now that, how many of you love, love to fly? Yeah, there's sarcasm for you. So they hit V1 and whether a tire goes, blows out, whether an engine stops working, whatever the problem may be, if you have passed V1, you as that plane are not stopping. And the pilot has to know when they've reached that threshold because ready or not, here we go. No matter what happens, we're taking off. Nothing is going to stop us. Aborting is no longer an option. It truly is the point of no return for takeoff. And that's where these friends get. They get to this place of either almost or V1. Which one are we going to give into? Are we going to be okay? Are we going to settle with almost? Or are we going to say, man, we've already reached the point of no return. We are not stopping until this man we brought gets to Jesus. And you know the story. They go V1. They say no matter what. They talked together. It says that they tried to get in, but they couldn't because of the crowd, so they had another idea. Now, in your group of friends, you think through your friends, right? There's always that guy or that lady, right? They're the ones that every group of friend has one. Our group of friend, his name is Brandon, and there's always that guy that comes up with an idea that everybody else dismisses. There's always that guy that just lives a little bit further on the edge than everyone else. And if something bad happens, it's probably that guy. It's, it's always that guy. And that guy most likely had an idea. We've come this far. There's no way we're settling for almost. There's no way we're stopping short. There's no way we're quitting. We are going to do whatever it takes to get this man who needs Jesus to Jesus. And he looks at the rest of the guys. He says, so I have an idea. And when that guy says, I have an idea, the rest of the friends say what? Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. So that guy would have done something. Says there's no way to get into the house through the front door, so let's see if we can find another way to actually get in. Because they had ladders like this back in Jesus' day. So he gets some form of a ladder, brings it out, and the rest of the friends are watching him like, I don't see where this is going. Keep in mind, the paralyzed guy is still thinking, where is that ladder going? So he gets something out, puts it up to the next to the side of the house, and he says... We're getting this man to Jesus through the roof. And the rest of the friends are like, that's a brilliant idea. Yes, this is when like the man testosterone really comes out. Let's do it. Let's do it. Paralyzed guy on his mat and like, no, no. Let's settle for almost. I'm good right here. Leave me alone. But he starts to go up and he climbs up to the top of the house. He says, all right, all right. 
bring him up. <laughs> Poor paralyzed guy, right? I mean, you're thinking, no, 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 no. It couldn't get any worse, but it just might. So leave me alone. He says, no, no, we aren't stopping anything. No matter what, we're getting you to Jesus. And so they get him all the way up. They get him to the top of the roof, and they're able to get him on. Now the top of the roof, totally covered with tiles. And they're all high-fiving. Can't believe we actually did it. We got a guy up on the roof. They're high-fiving. The paralyzed guy's like, great. I was happy you're on the, on the bottom, um, but now I'm at the roof. Now what am I going to do? Of course, they all look to that guy and says, we're up here. You said we're going to get him through the roof? He's like, yeah, start pulling tiles off. Now, remember where this was at again? This wasn't a church. This was in a house. All right, so somebody owns that house. These friends are on the top of the house, and they start pulling back the tiles of the roof. Pulling back until there starts to be a hole, and the hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, put yourself inside that house. You got there extra early because you got your front row seat to see Jesus. You waited in line. You got everybody out. You beat everybody else there. You kept your spot. You gave your el you got your elbows out. You made sure you had a good spot for Jesus. And you get there, and you're listening to Jesus, and you're just locked in, just like you're locked into the best pastor ever right now. It looked just like this, just like this. And all of a sudden, there's a distraction. Heaven forbid there's ever a distraction in church. And little crumbles and tiles start falling, and whoever's house it is starts bolting out the back. What's going on? But you're there, and you're like, you look up. You're like, no, 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 focus on Jesus, focus on Jesus. And it keeps happening, and tiles are falling and pieces of rubble from the roof are falling and you look up and now everybody's eyes are up even jesus probably stopped teaching and looked up says let's see where this is going but i'm god I already know and so he sees there you go you see this hole get bigger and bigger and you see these faces looking down and hands pulling up and it would have to have been dead quiet of what is happening except for the guy that owned the house is probably yelling the hole gets big enough, and now we're back on the roof, and the friends say, we got it, we got it. And the paralyzed guy's like, why is that hole about my size? I see where this is going, and I'm not okay with it. Because <laughs> they had rope, apparently, too. They had a ladder and a rope, which we don't know where that came from. But somehow they were able, Scripture says, they lowered him. Look at what it says. When they could not find a way because of the, who? Crowd. They went up on the roof, lowered him on his mat, threw the tiles in the middle of the crowd. Right in front of Jesus, they lowered him down. If you're in the house, you see this man on a mat get pushed out of a hole in the roof <laughs> into the house, and he starts to be lowered all the way down in the middle of the crowd, right at the feet of Jesus. You've got the faces up there looking down like, I can't believe we did that. Let's see what's going to happen or if we have to bolt. <laughs> You've got an entire house full of people's eyes on Jesus, the paralyzed guy, and a hole in the roof. Like, what is about to happen? You have a paralyzed man who's laying on the ground in front of everybody. This is not my idea. I tried to tell them no. <laughs> but at some point, all eyes would have been back on Jesus. What is Jesus going to do? What is Jesus going to say? Now, before we get to what Jesus is going to say and what he is going to do, understand what could have happened if they settled for almost. If they settled for almost, this man would not have gotten to the feet of Jesus. But they said, man, we've hit V1. We are beyond the point of no return. This is going to happen. We will find a way no matter what, even if it means getting on the roof and putting holes in that very roof. And, and wherever you are at, 
I hope, I pray truly, I pray that starting today, you don't settle for almost anymore. Whether it's with your family, your kids, your spouse and marriage, whether it's your job, whether it's your financial situation, whatever it is, do whatever it takes. Put a hole in the roof, if that's, not my roof, but just metaphorically speaking, put a hole in the roof, do whatever it takes, don't settle for almost. Well, we almost made it. No, we're going to put a hole in the roof and make sure it happens. We've lost that in our culture, we've lost that in our faith oftentimes. Well, I tried my best, I did what I could, and it almost happened. No. Put a hole in the roof. What does that look like for your marriage, to put a hole in the roof and say, no, quitting is not an option. We're not going to almost make it. We're going to make it, whatever it takes, even if that means putting a hole in the roof. I'll talk to parents for a second. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of dragging your kids to church. A huge fan of it. Why? Because it's my choice, not theirs at this point. <laughs> there will come a day where it is their choice. Not yet. And even though church is one hour out of 168 hours, that one hour is impactful and it impacts the other 167. So whatever it takes, if your kids come in here kicking and screaming, I'm going to give you a high five. And I'm going to let you send them to the children's ministry and then you can come hang out here. <laughs> whatever it takes. Let's not almost it anymore. Don't settle for almost. Put a hole in the roof. Do absolutely whatever it takes. See, for me, that's the why. I said this is... This is what changed my outlook on what I do. It's the why. It's right here. Why? Why did these men go to extreme lengths? Why did they pick up a paralyzed man and take him to this house? Why did they not give up? Why did they not give in to almost? Why did they climb up on the roof and then put holes in the roof and lower them down? Why even bother with all that? That's a lot to do. Why do it? And it's simply because Jesus changes lives. Remember at the beginning, he was teaching and had the power to do what? Heal. That hasn't changed. Jesus is still speaking. Jesus is still teaching. Jesus is still healing physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, you name it. He is still doing that. The Jesus I know still changes lives. He did then and he does now and he will continue to do so. So that's the why. That's why we don't give in to almost. That's why we don't settle for almost because he changes lives and it's worth whatever it takes to get us there and to get other people there. So here's what Jesus said then. These friends knew what Jesus could do. So they stopped at nothing. Now this man is sitting on the floor, laying on the floor, all eyes on Jesus. Verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now I don't want you to miss this because it's very easy to, to gloss over one word. When Jesus saw whose faith? Their Faith. Who's he talking to? Talk back to me for a second. Who is he talking about? Is he talking about the paralyzed man? Because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. No, who's he talking about? The ones that have their heads sticking out of a hole in the roof. That's who he's talking to. And I would imagine that Jesus is looking at this man right here and he says, friend, your sins are forgiven because of them. Let that sink in, what, that, what just happened here. Because of their faith, your sins are forgiven. We underestimate the impact our faith has on the people around us. We underestimate the impact and influence that our personal faith has on the people around us. 
those friends made a huge difference. Jesus is the one that changed lives and changed his life here. But the friends are the one that got him there. They're the ones that had the faith. They are the ones that hit that V1, no turning back. We're not settling for almost. We will do absolutely whatever it takes. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. Verse 21, then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier? to say your sins are forgiven, or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, he talks back to him, says, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was filled with, uh, filled with amazed. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe filled with awe, and said, we have seen remarkable things today. The faith of these friends was enough faith to say, hey, we know that Jesus has the power to heal and can heal you, so we're going to do whatever it takes to get you to Jesus. They were hoping and praying and expecting a miracle. Would you notice there's two miracles that happen here? There's two. Jesus forgives this man's sins, and then he heals him physically and says, get up and walk. Two miracles The friends were expecting one, hoping for one, praying for one miracle, and Jesus in that moment actually does two miracles. Now, he does the more important one first, doesn't he? He spiritually heals the man laying before him, and then a moment later, then he heals him physically. Two miracles does the most important one first, but here's what I want you to catch a hold of. Jesus will continue to not just change lives, but exceed our expectations, as long as we don't settle for almost. When we settle for almost, we almost hinder what he can do. If these friends stopped at almost, we wouldn't have seen these two miracles happen, as far as we know. They didn't settle for almost. They hit V1, says we're going to keep going no matter what, and two miracles happened. Two miracles where Jesus exceeded what these men would have expected. Our God does more than, doesn't he? More than. Ephesians chapter 3 says it in that way. He says, now to him who's able to do immeasurably, do you know what that next word is? Immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. That's who Jesus is. He changes lives and he does more than we would ever ask, ever imagine, ever expect. He continually does more than. More than versus almost. Jesus is not an almost savior, is he? He didn't almost go to the cross. He didn't almost rescue us. He didn't almost save us from all of our sins. He didn't almost, no, he did more than. He didn't just take a couple sins from here and there. He said, I'm going to take them for the entire world, from everyone that has been and ever will be. He says, we're going to finish this once and for all. He is not settling. He has not settled for almost. He is more than, more than enough, and the same in our own lives. So Mountain Lake, here's, here's my prayer. As we've been leading up to Easter and how this passage has impacted my life of really helping me wrap my mind around the why, I pray that it does the same for you. That all the things that you do, think through your 168 hours in a week. All the things that you do, spiritually speaking and non-spiritually speaking, all the things that you do, why do you do those things? And there's a lot of reasons, there's a lot of good reasons, there's a lot of things that we probably don't have a reason for. 
Why don't we just do it? And we go through those 168 hours, but what I'm hoping that you hear is the reason why we do some things, and maybe this should help reorder what we do, but in my life, the why comes down to this. Jesus changes lives. And my faith has the potential to impact the lives of other people. Your faith has the power and the impact, the power of impact and influence to, through Jesus, change other people's lives. That's why we do what we do. It's why this moment here is important. It's why Easter moments are important. It's why I had you write down a name. It's why you're going to get an invite card on your way out. Because it has the potential to change lives. We don't change lives. Jesus does. But for some reason, he's willing to use us in that process. I pray we never become the crowd that loves Jesus so much that we keep our backs turned to the people that need him more than ever. And I pray that we would not settle for almost, but we would do whatever it takes to get to Jesus, to get other people to Jesus. If that means putting holes in the roof, put holes in the roof. But let me remind us that it didn't start with putting holes in the roof. Right? They didn't have the idea at the beginning, I've got a great idea. Let's take this man, we're going to put a hole in the roof and get him to Jesus. <laughs> Thinking That's not a good plan. It wouldn't have been a good plan. It was a good plan because it was necessary in that moment. It started with... We see a need, we see an opportunity. We can't do anything about it, but Jesus can. Let's get them together. That's where it began. It didn't start with a hole in the roof. It started with seeing a need and seeing an opportunity. I pray you see the need in the people around you. Those that don't know Jesus, I pray you see a need in their life. Opportunity, I pray you see this Friday and this Sunday for Easter as an opportunity. And the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that, and the conversation you have. It's not just about church. It's about having conversations, sharing your story. So the moments we serve, the moments we volunteer in and out of church, it's the parenting teachable moments. Those are all opportunities where we get to say, can I take you to Jesus? Can I take you to Jesus? Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for being more than. That yes, you are a God that changes lives, but you don't just do the status quo, that you constantly do more than we need, more than we would ever expect, more than we could ask, more than we could ever imagine. The cross is evidence of you being more than, that you did whatever it would take to get us back to you. You went to the extreme, you didn't settle for almost, you didn't settle for, for sort of, kind of, maybes. You said, whatever it is going to take, I'm willing to do it, even if it meant sending your one and only son. So thank you for being more than for me. Thank you for being more than all of us here. May we remember who you are. May we remember that you are the ones, you are the one that changes lives, not us, that only you can change a life. So our job, help us to remember, is to get people to you. May we not get to you by ourselves so that we're keeping people out like the crowd, but may we get to you and bring others with you because we believe, I still believe, that Jesus, you change lives. In your name, amen.